Hello and welcome to Months of Sundays, the show bringing you political commentary on entertainment media from the perpetual Sunday of Suburban Ennui. I'm Livy. I'm Reuben. And this week we've got a bit of a light-hearted treat for you. Uh, not something you'll hear too often on this podcast, as I'm sure you're aware. <laughs> Although we would try to keep it light, but you know, yeah, we would get into some heavy stuff. Uh, this week we're going to be looking at classic 90s rom-com, You've Got Mail. Uh-huh, yep. As well as the film it's a remake of, which is 1940s and Slubich film, The Shop Around the Corner. And what year is You've Got Mail, Ruben? 93 93 oh it's really early 90s i yeah i wouldn't have particularly known it does feel very quintessentially 90s oh no it's not it's 98 98 oh okay yeah 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 yeah. year of my birth guys (laughs) oh yeah Uh, important year for us all um so yeah so you've got mail is directed by nora efron who is sort of the the queen of 90s rom-com she made sleepless in seattle when Harry Met Sally. Which um, Ruben kind of uncharacteristically loves. I love When Harry Met Sally. Or it's maybe characteristically, to be fair, because it is quite a lot like a mainstream Woody Allen film, is what exactly, you said about yeah. it. Yeah. It's, like, it's like a not as good rip-off of Annie Hall, basically, which yeah. is why I like it. I haven't seen it for a very, very long time. Obviously, it is a very well-loved um, film. Yeah, she wrote, she wrote loads and loads of things. She wrote, I think she held right all the president's men, which is quite cool. Uh, but this, I think, is quite a bad film. You've got mail as opposed to when Harry met Sally. Yeah, and our premise for this episode is in fact that You've Got Mail is a barefaced and brutal monopoly uh, capitalism sort of uh, like vindication, uh, yeah. valorization, uh, hidden behind a saccharine and difficult to palate romance of manipulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it stars Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks playing their sort of normal characters where uh, Tom Hanks is the owner of a huge bookstop, bookshop, like a sort of Barnes & Noble, Waterstones type place. It's called Fox & Sons well, yeah, yeah, in exactly. the uh, shop. So I guess it's sort yeah, of film. quite transparently Barnes & Noble, which is the big uh, bookshop, bookshop in America. Yeah, yeah. But also kind of like all those ones like borders or whatever borders is an american chain that we also have in britain or had in britain it closed the one in brighton closed down I'm oh sure yeah still going i think they're all gone you know are they all gone yeah, okay well, so. well for example like wh smith or something as well i guess sort of not re- more like waterstones waterstones right? is like i mean the waterstones yeah. is now run waterstones is now run a bit like how mcdonald's is run like franchise where, like franchise yeah. yeah so um all the individual shops are kind of tailored so it's this weird paradoxical thing where like Indie bookshops went really out of out of style and were like crushed by their huge kind of uh, monopolizing competitors, which could offer like yeah. cappuccinos with the books and all of this stuff. <laughs> and like also to be fair, like a huge selection. So, you yeah, know, when you go into yeah. a big chain store, but you'll be able to find the book that you're like specifically looking for. But it's a real shame because it like obviously kind of crushes like the individual bookseller. Uh-huh. And then Waterstones, because obviously books in general are struggling with the rise of the internet mm-hmm. booksellers in general are st- struggling waterstones kind of had to diversify and like adopt the strategies yeah they kind of had to turn themselves back into indie booksellers <laughs> yeah, which was really weird like they had to so so all of the shops are now like you know run by an individual manager which like who tailors the stock very specifically to yeah. the city that they're in and everything which does make it a nice in a, this kind of weird shallow consumers where it does make it a nice uh shopping experience yeah. i can't say otherwise but yeah no it's um 
yeah, it's it's just really interesting, I yeah, guess. But that like, is not the world of You've Got Mail, where Tom Hanks' big of, big bookshop is really like the sort of monopolistic force overriding Meg Ryan's. They have names, but I can't remember little, them. Uh, Cute called, little bookshop, well, which called, is called The Shop Around the Corner, yeah, as in reference to the Ernst Lubitsch film, which it on which it's based. Remakes, yeah. So um, the the Lubitsch film itself is based on a 1937 Hungarian play, Parfumery by oh. Mik- Miklos Laszlo. I was wondering about the Hungary setting. Yeah, and that's why it's sort of strangely, strangely apparently set in Hungary, although the only way it's really set in Hungary is the names of the people and everything yeah, else. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very clearly America. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's This is a much better film, feel. I think. It's, it's, it's much more funny and sort of... Uh, yeah. The romance is much more sellable, I think. I mean, it's it's an absolute classic, apparently. But like, I mean, apparently <laughs> this sounds really harsh. I just mean it, it's it's obviously a much loved film. This original yeah, film, as so you've got mail, is in its own way. But... Lubitsch, it's not my favorite Lubitsch film I've seen. He is famous for his basically his romantic comedies. He invented the screwball comedy in lots of ways with Trouble in Paradise, and then made the absolutely brilliant To Be or Not to Be, which is a very, very, very clever film about a group of actors in Nazi occupied Warsaw oh, which is actually yeah, really hilarious that, you would really fair. like you that really film definitely that. yeah um but people talk about Lubitsch and the Lubitsch touch I think which is like his sort of witty touch and sort of visual style which lends itself to comedy and I think you know so he's seen as like the sort of forefather of romantic comedy and that sort of thing I've never really been able to get a good definition of what the Lubitsch touch actually is uh, but is it not it's a just, thing someone talk, people talk people... about a lot is it something that people talk about in other filmmakers or just in him? Is no, it, just in him. But I think he's, they're, they're, they're saying the it's sort of the pinnacle touch. of yeah that, that that sort of filmmaking, and I also see. the start of that sort of filmmaking. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's. I mean, the Wikipedia page I'm reading here it defines it as this sort of. With a few exceptions, Lubitsch's movies take place neither in Europe nor America, but Lubitschland, a place of metaphor, benign grace, rueful wisdom. What came to preoccupied as an anomalous artist was the comedy of manners and the society in which it transpired, a world of delicate sang-froid, where a breach of sexual or social property and the appropriate response are ritualised but in unexpected ways. So yeah, it's a sort of comedy of manners type thing, but it's... um, so it's this sort of light-hearted thing, a, a which is actually very clever. Or a break in exactly, yeah. So something very light-hearted, seemingly light-hearted, but actually something very, very sort of deftly done and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, that 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 fits very well with the shop around the corner, which is, I would say, very deftly done and very glib right up until the end in a kind of enjoyable way. Like, I, glib yeah. is obviously a negative ad- adjective, but what I'm saying is, it's not aiming to be. It's not going for profundity. It's going mm-hmm. for something fast-paced so and funny. The way these films are f- similar and the way in which I didn't actually explain what happens in You've Got Mail is that Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks are exchanging emails anonymously with each other and have fallen in love with each other by text, by even email. though they hate each other in real life. Yeah, they hate and each other in real life because they're the rival bookshop owners. Um, and then there's this kind of big twist halfway through the film, not, not a twist from the um you know from the viewer's point of view but from uh the characters where um tom hanks realizes um that the woman he's been corresponding with is his kind of mortal enemy in real life uh when they're supposed to go on this um blind you know blind date when they're, yeah. they're all set up to meet but instead of like her finding out you know like a little bit later in the film or anything <laughs> like that that um, and to be fair, this is a, a structure taken from the original film, but we'll go on to why the original film does this less objectionably in a minute. Um, instead of like her finding out who he is at any point, we have this really long, protracted, 
weird thing where he manipulates her he causes her to lose her bookshop which goes under and you're always thinking the film is so about the bookshops you're thinking throughout oh she's gonna get her bookshop back oh she's gonna get her bookshop back is she gonna get her fucking bookshop back no she's not like the last scene she doesn't get anything she she she, he like then kind of once she's lost all her power and she's no threat to him he then spends the rest of the film kind of wheedling his way into her heart still manipulating her and teasing her about her mystery man and all of this kind Mm. of thing knowing full well of course that he is the mystery man and then he turns up in the last scene in the park when they're supposed to meet up um and she's like, recognizes him, realizes it's him and all this stuff. And she's like, I hoped it was you. And then they kiss. Want, yeah, and yeah. then the film ends. Um, <laughs> it's a ridiculous ending. We were it's saying just, it's probably the most unearned ending in cinema history. It's, it's so, so, deeply, so ridiculous. Deeply, it's, it's not just ridiculous. It's like deeply, deeply uncomfortable. It made me feel quite ill because she's portrayed as an idiot as well. Like, I'm just saying it is very misogynistic. Yeah. Like, you know, she's, she's portrayed as... Um, she's supposed to be kind of very erudite and book learned and all of that kind of thing um you know obviously that's her whole thing is like working in an an indie bookshop and he's supposed to be this kind of capitalist genius despite like the character in the original film is supposed to be an impeccable salesman to be fair Mm. um but weirdly the character in this film unlike the character in the original film inherits his kind of vast uh like bookshop empire from his father and never reads books and i mean not the never reads books thing is like an additional (laughs) thing what i'm saying is it does it just doesn't make any sense he's supposed to be this genius but like he inherited all his money and his business from his father there's a running joke that he hasn't read pride and prejudice in the film yeah but like obviously you wouldn't need to i mean i don't value business geniuses quote unquote maybe quite as much as the next person obviously (laughs) but what i'm saying is you wouldn't need to have read pride and prejudice to be a business genius but i'm saying in itself like the fact that he's kind of presented as very witty and everything. And she's supposed to be kind of very learned in a much quieter, kind of more academic, less flashy way. But actually she's just presented as an idiot who can't even like her articulation is literally gagged because there's this whole running thing about how he can make zingers and like she can't. And like she does one zinger on him and you're supposed to be like, oh, poor guy. Oh, that was (laughs) like they use the word zinger. That's not me. Um, you're supposed to be like, oh, poor guy. She really told it to him then. <laughs> but like, he just has all the power yeah, throughout yeah, the film, and he has the economic power as well as the power over knowing that no, no, the yeah, sort of knowledge, exactly. isn't it? That's and what's that's so the, sinister that's the about it. Sort of weirdly sinister thing about this film, isn't it? If I turned out, I mean, a, I wouldn't let him befriend me in the first place after he got rid of my bookshop. But if that did didn't happen, and then I also found out that he was the person who had been, in fact manipulating me and writing me letters without telling me in real life for months and months and months I just yeah the scene (laughs) in the park would have gone down very differently that's all I can say yes so uh, this is very different to the shop around the corner and it's different because the positions of the characters in the earlier film played by James Stewart and Margaret Sullivan um, they're in a very different place, aren't they? In their yeah, well, this sort of is thing. so. This is the kind of the main contrast between the two films, and why the first film feels less objectionable than the second. I mm-hmm. think so. In the first film, they are both employed as workers in the same shop. In the same shop. And again, it's the sort of conceit of them corresponding anonymously, this time by actual mail, with each other and falling in love with each other. Without knowing each other. Without knowing each other, yeah. And then 
it becomes apparent. And in the shop, they hate each other. They're sort of rival rival workers. Rival workers. He is the oldest employee of the shop. He's worked himself up to clerk status or beyond clerk status even. I'm not even yeah, sure. Yeah, he becomes the manager. He becomes the manager about halfway well. through the film, but he's a kind of higher up employee than her. So there is still a sort of power differential. But the thing that really happens to upset this halfway through the film, I mean, A, you can't compare being like a slightly higher up employee, like a middle manager in a um, shop where you're still working under a boss to obviously like owning a huge bookshop monopoly. Yeah. It's just on a different scale. A multi-millionaire, she Mul- calls Tom yeah, Hanks t- in the film. Exactly, yeah. Um, but the the, um, uh, the the thing that really happens to upset the power differential halfway through the film is actually quite an upsetting scene in the original film, given that the majority of it is also kind of yeah. light-hearted and kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Um, when where the protagonist is um, sacked from his job because the boss believes he's having, and you don't understand this at the time necessarily, or you don't understand it fully until the next scene or whatever, but the boss believes he's having an affair with um, his wife. wife. Um, Well, he's not, but, you know, um, he's just kind of sacked brutally and without any explanation, and he has to kind of go out. And this is just before he and um, his love interest, who's been writing to via letters, like the characters in You've Got Mail are about to go on this this same scene, this date where they meet up um, and they recognise each other by flowers and all of this yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. And, 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 um, and the book and the flowers in the book and that sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, that He's heading towards this same scene that he's hoping to get off off early for in the evening so he can go on this date and he's just brutally sacked just before. Yeah, and yeah. it is actually quite upsetting, I think. It is very upsetting. It's, a, it's actually a film that handles the sort of line between comedy and uh, like quite sad drama quite well, I think. I think it sort of straddles between them often. There's a very distressing scene where the owner of the shop starts to commit suicide and is saved as well. And it's like sort of in the middle of this in the middle of this comedy film it's, as well. I, I'm not sure how distressing I'd say that scene was. But I thought I it was quite distressing. I think it's a shock. Yeah. It's very shocking. It's a shock. And it, you sort of see him spiralling and think he's the sort of one with all the power and then to show like sort of all of their money problems in this context of the sort of great depression and just before the war yeah it seems it seems very shocking and like this sort of dark world that the comedy's trying to penetrate but can't completely yeah yeah the comedy Definitely. can't suffuse all of it can't get into all the dark corners because exactly, it's just yeah. actually quite a different a, a kind of a, a difficult and brutal world and yeah. the one that's portrayed as much more openly brutal than the kind of brutal to the plain eye but sort of disguised by a veneer of the saccharine yeah. uh, kind of politics and, and, and social relations that go on in uh, You've, You've Got, Got Mail. Mail. Um, what I was going to say about that scene is that then when... So therefore when um, uh, the uh, man in the original film, the male character in the original film, goes into the blind date situation, whereas in uh, You've Got Mail... Um, the woman is being kind of teased quite brutally and like drawn out and all this kind of thing. And he's still got all the power like he does throughout the entire film Um, in um, the shop around the corner um, that they both behave not very well. And he does behave manipulatively and he continues to behave manipulatively. Obviously, I mean, obviously that's the joke. We can't expect um, a film from the early 1940s to have perfect 
you know, commentary on gender or whatever, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, we might expect slightly more of a film from the 90s and we'll come on to that later. <laughs> yeah. We don't get any more. We'll probably get less, I if anything. I think we definitely get less, yeah. Um, but but it, it makes a lot more sense that the character's just gone through this kind of horrible blow when he's behaving quite cruelly to the woman in the yeah. cafe, whereas in, in You've Got Mail, it's just like kind of his horrible personality that you're somehow supposed yeah. to find endearing. His horrible personality that's indicative of his whole life, which is this sort of ruthless capitalist yeah capitalist persona it's grim man (laughs) um shall we talk about some of the er texts of the film some of the kind of explicit texts that the film borrows from so one of Mm -hmm. these is pride and prejudice in um and you've got mail and you've got mail because uh in um uh sorry the shop around the corner um, the book that um, uh, the, the woman is reading in the cafe is Anna Karenina, which isn't maybe as explicitly as is explicitly yeah. relevant, um, except perhaps that it has a suicide in it, like the film yeah, has attempted suicide. Su- in yeah, it. and also I think the the setting gets hungry in Russia. Well, and I mean, like I think sort of, I mean that's yeah. what I presumed that the American like directors writers of the film were thinking yeah. when they Although used Anna Karenina. Lubitsch- uh, is Hungarian. Well, oh, or I think I was born know. in Hungary or somewhere around there and then moved oh, to America okay. when he was young. But he's the director, right? But he's the director, yeah. But, and the writer... Yeah, I don't know who wrote it. I mean, the, the writer is of, of the Hungarian play. and Oh, and then the screenplay, yeah, is by some American people. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, but... Uh, so, so Anna Krenna may be mildly relevant to The Shop Around the Corner, but um, Pride and Prejudice is plays the equivalent role in... Um, uh, you've got mail. Uh, the characters explicitly discuss it in their letters as well as in their meetup. Um, it does this kind of weird thing with Pride and Prejudice, which other media things, especially to be honest, popular film and TV, tend to do with Jane Austen and Pride and Prejudice mm. and portray them as if they're kind of these sort of straightforward, um, wishful thinking kind of romances <laughs> where they're like, you know, these kind of delightful, happy endings, this impossible wish fulfillment. Of course, there is an element of wish fulfillment in Pride and Prejudice um, because uh, Elizabeth. I think I I read this at some stage, just kind of the economic disparity between the sort of upper middle class, but not very rich Elizabeth Bennet and the kind of absolute aristocrat with absolutely stacks of money, Mr. Darcy, or I suppose he must be gentry maybe, if he's still a mister rather than a lord, whatever, you know, just the absolute stacks of money he's got. Uh, I saw something once that was kind of explaining the money he'd have in today's today's cash um, and saying a match of this economic disparity was literally just an an, an, an unknown entity uh, yeah. um, in Jane Austen's day. You know, it just mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So in a way, we've got a, I mean, we've got a, a match of similar economic disparity in the film itself, uh, which borrows a lot from yeah. Pride and Prejudice. Um, however, um, uh, this idea that so so there is an element of wish fulfillment is that's the long that's the long winded thing that I'm saying about Pride and Prejudice. There is an element of wish fulfillment in it, mm-hmm. um, but Jane Austen is obviously one of the kind of most barbed, occasionally vicious, viciously funny, certainly uh, kind of writers out there, canonical writers out there. Um, she does social social comedy um, uh, to an absolute T, which is why she's the perfect writer for both these films, really, mm-hmm. uh, to embody both these films. But kind of why she why she's really the perfect writer for uh, You've Got Mail, particularly, I would say, is because she's uh, a, a writer who sets out social relations as they are um, and, and is very barbed and witty and knowing about them, uh, knowing about people in society, how society works. 
and yet there isn't much of a current of subversion of mm. these societies in, in Jane Austen's books. Others will disagree with me. This is what I feel, that Jane Austen is often... Jane Austen writes class-based comedy. It's class-based comedy that is often the cruelest towards the sort of climbing middle classes, yeah. especially the lower middle classes, but the middle middle classes as well. Um, anyone who kind of presumes above their station, uh, her heroines are allowed to get away with presuming above their station through their kind of good grace and manners and, and, and wit. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that they do things gracefully, basically, um, and wittily. Uh, but uh, but her um her kind of her basic premise is that people shouldn't stray too far from their social roles, and I think the absolute the sort of wittiness about um uh the kind of the the absurdity of the of the bookshop monopoly and all of that stuff in you've got mail um the absurdity of what the Tom Hanks character is doing is absolutely brought to the fore. And yet it's never critiqued. He's allowed to completely get away with it and for there to be a quote-unquote happy ending yeah. that goes on. And the happy ending, that's why the happy ending feels so unearned and it's like almost ridiculous, to be honest, I think. I yeah. mean, others, others would, he, of course, he, disagree. But I, but I think that the film is sort of saying, yeah, I mean, so yeah, so, yeah so, this is bad, but this is the way things are. Yeah, this exactly. is the way things are going to be. And, and like Jane Austen, they don't. It's, it's not an attempt to subvert something. It's just to bring your attention and in, to in it. In another film, there could be something quite honest about the, the smaller bookshop just closing down and the world going on, because that is what would happen in real life but it's not but critiqued not or even played as somebody... all sad it's just sort of said yeah th- yeah this is what happens and actually it's a not good thing because they can fall in love anyway yeah yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah no so so that's why i think jane austen is the perfect it's a, it's a, it's a good choice I was, obviously structurally the film also borrows a lot from um pride and prejudice i'll just say mm-hmm. quickly i'm you know this is all like very obviously conscious in the script writing um which does have its moments to be fair we're not going to be completely harsh on you've got my yeah, it has some it has funny moments. moments um but uh the yeah so the the two characters as they say huge economic disparity as with elizabeth bennett and mr darcy um uh initially don't like each other at all uh there's a whole kind of you know yeah uh, and then there's a then there's a moment in which the man becomes interested in the woman, but the woman is not yet interested in the man. Yeah. The kind of central scene where, um, uh, which is also a borrowing, to be fair, from the original film, but also kind of works as a second borrowing from Pride and Prejudice mm. structurally. The central scene in the coffee shop where yeah. um, the female character rejects the Tom Hanks character. Um, uh, is kind of apparent and is, and is and says some sort of zingers to him as she puts it. Um, is is very similar to the central scene in Pride and Prejudice where Mr. Darcy proposes after they, the two characters initially didn't like each other. I mean, as a yeah. central scene, I don't mean literally the central scene, but kind of the scene, the centre of the it novel. Does, it really does seem like the central scene in the in the film. It, it does seem like the, it seems like the central film scene in the film. Besides saying in the novel, it's kind of the. the a pivotal scene in the middle of the novel where Mr. Darcy proposes and Elizabeth rejects him and kind of goes on a little tirade against him because he has treated her very badly, to be fair. And that's kind of what happens in the film, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, And the sort of power of romance novels and the sort of power of romance as an idea is what sort of hangs over these films, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, The the characters... The, the, the reason the first film is interesting, I think, it's because 
the characters are wedded to an ideal of love without really experiencing love at any point through the film. In fact, they seem to really hate each other throughout the whole film. You don't see their correspondence. Yes, you don't see much of a glimmer of it. So you don't see the sort of... You hear one quoted passage from it. Yeah, but but quite near the end as well, right? I think you hear it at the beginning and then you hear it again at the end. Uh, So it's the bit about... It's imagining you are a letter and it's saying... Oh, take me and and put me put me in your cubby hole and all of this stuff. Oh yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah, like... yeah, yeah. But you you really don't get a sense of the romance budding at the same time as them being mean to each other in the shop. And actually, the whole thing is focused on the shop and focused on them trying to make money in the shop and not being able to and all their sort of monetary pro- problems. Yeah, and that's a, that's background. another thing about um uh yeah about, about about these films that kind of disparity in the way that the material stuff plays out because they're both about very material concerns they're both about losing a shop or not losing business or not losing your job or not um uh the uh woman character in the original film in shop around the corner comes in seeking a job she's desperate for one um because there are no jobs and the characters uh, refer throughout to the kind of bitter economic climate that they're in despite this being a seemingly quite light-hearted film this is completely the opposite of what we get in uh you've got mail and i think that that maybe has something to do with a kind of 90s boom attitude you know yeah. kind of like uh, end of history this is as good as stuff is going to get we don't have to worry about the material i mean obviously a vast amount of people number of people were worrying very much about the material every day but the people who made large successful Hollywood films were not necessarily very aware of this. Um, that kind of 90s boom attitude means that um, th- there's that there doesn't seem to be just kind of much or really any concern about money mm, in yeah. the shop around the corner. The woman loses her, not the shop around the corner, no, sorry, you've got, uh, you've got mail. Got mail. Yeah. Um, the woman loses her shop because of money, obviously, because the, because they're not making em- enough um, with the new Monopoly bookstore around the corner. Um, but like she's she upset just doesn't about really her mum's her, like the fact that it was her mum's shop and that she wouldn't be able to like her Fulfill her her legacy. her her legacy and she's actually upset in particular that her her own daughter won't be able to inherit the shop from her in the same way yeah. which is particularly weird obviously and then, she's, and then she's like there's a line a bit later in the film where they become friends she's like oh maybe you did me a favor if you hadn't shut down my um uh, if you hadn't, you know, shut down my bookshop, I'd have never have started writing. And it's yeah. like, yeah, because that's the choice everybody has when they lose a job. <laughs> you just exactly, go home yeah. and do something utterly unprofitable. Like, that's not the choice most people... Uh, we yeah. wish it was. It's not the choice most people have. Yeah, which is very opposed to the earlier film where the concern, as we said, is, co- is constantly about money. And there's a very funny joke. Uh, he, James Stewart's character, the main, the main man, sort of almost fools the woman in in this same manipulative way as a Tom Hanks character in some ways, but there's a, a sort of running joke where he fools the woman into buying him the Christmas present he wanted, which is very ironically a wallet. Yeah. And... <laughs> And he and you know there's this sort of long running thing about getting his friend to say to say that he wants this thing and all these all these sort of different things and there's this sort of overriding concern with the material apart from the love which is this very sort of wordy idealistic thing that never really is fulfilled and like the final shot of the film is completely completely the opposite even though it's similarly sort of plot wise to the to you've got mail just to contextualize you've got mail you've got mail is like the ending is particularly particularly saccharine uh, a cover of over the rainbow plays while the two meet in a park very dewy eyed yeah, they share it? a yeah they share a kiss uh the, their 
big Labrador is kind of lapping all around their yeah. feet, golden retriever, I think. And uh, yeah, the camera pans upwards over Central Park. <laughs> and yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And on, on the other hand, the job around the corner ends with a really great scene where James Stewart sort of pretends that the that he's met the man that she's in love with, and he's this sort of fat guy with no with no money. And the joke is that she's annoyed that he's trying to steal her money, and that he's not, and he's not the attractive person he he, he knows. But actually, and that she's, it's the and money that, that's the last straw. It's the money that's the last straw because she is no, but she is also annoyed film. that he is stealing passages from his letters from Victor Hugo and stuff like that oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. to be fair. Which, so yeah, he shows she, she. So what I'm saying is she's concerned with idealistic notions of romance and love that she's so concerned with that she can't see the material romance in the same way that she is while she is so concerned still with the with the material because everyone in the film is concerned with her own sort of material prospect or, or situation but i think there's a sort of equivalence between that exchange of letters and the monetary exchange that goes mm. on in the rest of the film i think both of them are sort of being used as sort of transactional discourses, a a transaction of love, you know, an exchange of letters and an exchange of these sort of romantic ideals, um, which are very different from the ways the characters behave in real life in the same way that we're watching lots of monetary exchange, lots of concern about money uh, and what people can bring to each other financially. And I think the thing is that those things are kind of leveled and made equivalent in the letters. And yeah. there's a there's a lack of the actual earthly corporeal exactly, love yeah. that we might expect. It's an exchange in that it's sort of dealing with ideas of ideas of love rather than actual love. Yeah. She says to him at the end when he asks her why she's so why he's so mean to her. Uh, no, why she's so mean to him at the start. She says, "All my knowledge came from books, and I just finished a novel, novel about a glamorous French actress from the Comédie Française." That's that's a theatre in France. When she wanted to arouse a man's interest, she treated him like a dog. And out, and uh, James Stewart says, well, yes, well, you treated me like a dog. And the woman says back, yes, but instead of licking my hand, you barked. And it's this sort of exchange of romantic ideals, as you're saying. Yeah, it, there's a disparity the, 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 the with The disparity with, with actual life, which is so based in the monetary in the film. Yeah. So the monetary is like the real and the romance is, a, is the stuff of fiction. And so in the ending, which seems, which is the romantic ending that you expect it seems very sort of it seems on the one hand fairly idealistic they get together at the end right at the end but it's a very brief slight and played for laughs romantic conciliation reconciliation where what happens he she had a joke about his legs right because somebody had originally called him bow-legged earlier in the film and she'd reported this back to him uh and he threatens to go outside and show her how his legs aren't bowed yeah. and so and so she gets him to show show the legs just before the kiss yeah. and when she's satisfied kind of when she's satisfied with her goods to be fair it's exactly, another barter yeah. uh then they have the kiss it's all very light it is very funny um what i was going to quickly say though ruben is i do slightly i don't disagree with you but i think that that is i i you're opposing the material world of the bookshop and the kind of transcendent like discourse of the letters or whatever. But I actually, what I'm saying is I actually think, although Clara and whatever the male character is called... Alfred. Although Clara and Alfred believe that there's an opposition between the material mm. world of, of money in which they kind of move every day and their concerns over money and these kind of high-flying sort of high-fluting letters and all of that kind of thing... Um, I think, and and the romance and the quotations and all of this kind of thing, actually, because, you know, 
uh, Alfred was actually quoting from Victor Hugo. He was borrowing others' words. Mm, he was yeah. being kind of taking what he could and being transactional in order to get something, in order to win her love. Yeah. I think that the way that the characters use love is in a similar kind of mode of transaction. Yeah, and that and is like, the joke with the legs at the end of the film, isn't it? Is yeah. that she's looking, she's look, she's looking for the ideal romantic partner still in a transactional way, rather yeah. than looking for love in a in a you know an actual romantic in an intimate way, intimate yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's kind of the that's the basics about <laughs> <laughs> why we don't like you've got mail very much, which you obviously all wanted to hear about so desperately. Um. Yeah, have you got anything else left to say, Ruben, would you say? Um, Not I really. think it's an interesting film. We were saying uh, You've Got Mail is an interesting film about the internet, isn't it? Yeah, really? that is true. Because it's a very early internet it's film. A, it's a particularly early internet film. I mean, 1998 is really the very start of the internet, and the internet looks very silly to us now. The internet that we see in the film is this sort of strange chat ro- AOL chat room, yeah. which um, I saw on the Wikipedia page. It was listed as one of the worst instances of product placement ever, the, uh, the, the yeah. extreme use of the that specific chat room in it. Um, it's funny, we were saying after watching the film, it's funny how the internet is this sort of idealistic, not very criticised thing in the film, whereas actually it's what shuts all the bookshops down in like five years' time after, yeah. after the film is made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, they want. I mean, they want to know that, of course. But they it want is quite to know that. But it watching is, it now, it's an added layer of irony. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I wouldn't necessarily not recommend you've got mail. I'd recommend watch it and marvel at it because it's really fucked yeah. up. And I was. Surprised. I'd watch When Harry Met Sally, which is a far better film by the same writer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would like to rewatch When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> so, okay, guys, see you soon. Thank you for listening. Somewhere. And the dream